Cool. Right, we're rolling. So, welcome to episode four of Chin Up. I'm James. This is Chris at the top. How you doing, so buddy? It's the fourth one. It is. Wow, we've been churning through them, mate. We have smashing it. Yeah. How, how you been? Not bad. I'm cold. The heating in my flat's not working. I've been away for three of the last four weeks, and it wasn't working when I left the house. I thought it has sorted itself out, but that obviously isn't how heating works. So, um, I've come back, and they can't sort it out till Monday. So I'm sitting here wrapped up blanket on my feet like a little old lady um just going to try and keep warm over the weekend mate how uh how you getting on how's training been this week yeah all good thanks um tough week this week knowing that you know christmas acts as a natural deload week mm. so volume's been quite high this week um couple more training sessions to do this week one today one tomorrow rest deload week next week so yeah all also, good. i'm doing christmas day with you this year i know big event Bit fun, isn't it? Yeah. Chris and I are going to be walking around Sainsbury's, arm in arm, pushing our trolley around, getting all the stuff in for Christmas lunch. All of the carbs in, mate. All of the refeed. Absolutely. Yeah. Yet to be decided, though, is what we're going to have for dessert. Are you a, are you a Christmas pudding, man? I'm, I'm, in, I'm in everything, man. Yeah? Perfect. Yeah. You and me both. Done. So, yeah. Just as much. It's going to be easy to make a list of what we're not going to eat over Christmas. I, I think so. I think so. Right. But, um, yeah, so... Today, we are talking about injury. So I feel like in some aspects, we're qualified to talk about this because we're made out of chocolate, <laughs> apparently. Um, but uh, of course, on a serious note, we're actually not really qualified to talk about any of this. So as a disclaimer, um, we're not injury experts in any way, shape or form, can't treat or offer any specific advice. Um, I think really today is just going to be us talking about our experiences and what we've learned over the years from our own experience, what other people have taught us. Um, I think if anyone does want to read any further on some people who actually are qualified in this sort of thing, definitely recommend Barbell Medicine's resources on pain and injury. They are fantastic. Um, and also a website, I forget the author, but the website's called Pain Science. Very, very interesting. There's uh, also some good, there's some very good guy called the Prehab Guys uh, that I think got a YouTube channel and they're on, they've got a Twitter as well, the Prehab Guys. Really, yes. really good. Yeah, it's, I think I've seen, seen them on Instagram as well. Yeah, they're excellent. They've given me a few bits and bobs that have definitely helped um, over the years, as of you. Excellent. Glad I could help. Um, so, so I mean, I think how long have we been training together? 10 years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on and off for about 10 years, I guess. You know, yeah, been various times when you've, uh, you've been kind of living away from Seven Oaks. I haven't got to see each other, but whenever we can, we do train together, don't we? Yeah. Um, I'd say that the one, the one problem we both had sort of intermittently has been, been the lower back. And I would say that's been a fairly common, that is a fairly common problem for a lot of people um, who, who are lifting. Um, what, like, where, where did your back problems start, do you think? Well, interestingly, it started out like it kind of leached off of something completely unrelated. So I actually tore my hamstring sprinting. So I remember really, really cold night at training athletics, really difficult to get warmed up. Um, I was probably about 20 or 21, I believe. Um, and I remember literally, you know, that classic looks like you've been taken out by a sniper. Oh, yeah, I've had it a couple Spr of times. Grim. So sprinting, all of a sudden, bang, just goes. Um, bad bruising. You could literally like put a finger in the hole 
I was going to say, it's like you feel like you've been shot and you actually feel the hole appear in your hamstring, don't you? It's a weird oh, feeling. It's awful. Um, but yeah, so that's how it all came about initially. So how that relates to my back, I remember being like, well, I can't really sprint. And that was what I was doing at the time, athletics. So I thought, right, back squatting doesn't really use your hamstring. I was an idiot. Yeah, um, and then did some, did some back squats, went down into a fair, like it was a warm up weight, really went down into, into the hole, the bottom of a squat, had to really shift my hips felt uh, like an audible like pop and then some what I believed at the time something went in my back and then pretty much from that day on for the following six seven years had in various severity back pain and issues um, ranging all the way from stiffness to nerve pain and um, like feeling of like fire down my hamstrings into my feet um, odd odd stuff and yeah how, how about yourself I didn't know that, by the way. I didn't know it was to that extent. I knew you don't... Yeah, it was strange. Yeah. Yeah, my hamstring went a couple of times. I think if you are fast twitch, I know some people that have never had a hamstring go, but I think if you're fast twitch, your hamstrings contract and expand at a rate that some people don't. And so they are, if you're not, as you say, properly warm, they do just go. Mine went three or four times and mate, it was every time. And it's that horrible feeling when it goes, you go... Ah, and you know you're going to be out for at least 10 weeks. There's nothing you can do about it. You've just got to rest, be patient and wait. And yes, it's the worst thing as well. And you see, like I always see it when you see athletes pull up with a hamstring injury and there's pain on their face, but there's also that despair of like, I've just put all this winter training in. I've got myself to the peak of sharpness. I've probably dieted down for the season. I'm in peak physical condition and then ping my whole season's now over and I'm not going to be able to do anything until next year. And, um, Yes, I always feel for somebody when, when they get a hamstring. But yeah, mine was, I mean, look, I had two hip surgeries when I was a kid. So I had, had Perthes disease, which is like a, um, it's, it's a problem with the, the femoral head. And they had to kind of turn the, 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 the head of the femur to fit it better into the joint, uh, the socket. And then they had to put me in like a full body plaster cast, like a thing like Scooby-Doo villain that's been in a car crash. Uh, <laughs> from my feet to my neck for like six months, I didn't move, it's horrendous. And then I was in a wheelchair and in like calipers and crutches and stuff. So I didn't walk for probably a year. Um, then oh, I had another and, surgery. And so, sorry to interrupt, how, how old were you when you had this done, sorry? I was seven when I first had it. Oh, I had my seventh birthday in plaster, I remember that. So I was six and a, and a half, I guess, when I had it done. And then probably didn't walk again until I was probably nearly eight. Um, so it was a long process. Uh, to reopen up and do another surgery to get rid of all the like the the bolts and stuff that were holding me together so it was a pretty heavy couple of years and I basically I don't have a lot of external rotation in my left leg I have loads in my right and everything's normal my left is it, it moves backwards and forwards fine which is why I was able to have a good career as an athlete but left and right it, it doesn't want to play ball so for me um if I'm kind of conventional squatting, you know, when you get your knees tracking out, it puts a lot of stress on my, my hip. It just doesn't want to move in the right plane. And obviously I get then a lot of referred lower back pain. My left leg is a little bit shorter than my right. So my hips kind of tilt. Then my, my upper back compensates by trying to shift the weight over my right foot. So I'm a bit like an S-shaped human, whereas you wouldn't know looking at me necessarily. But when I get fatigued, I get, I get limping and... Uh, you can tell people go, oh, are you limping? Are you okay? And I don't even realize I'm doing it. It's just my body compensating. And 
yeah, my lower back as a result, most days, it's just a little bit, a little bit sore, a little bit achy. Um, and I have to just kind of do a little bit of mobility work every day just to make sure that it stays functional. Um, but to be honest, it's been all right. I can, I can deadlift all right. And, um, I can do sort of like hack squatting is fine for me, but there's just certain movements I have to stay away from, um, as a result. And I mean, as we'll talk about, as we go further on to this episode, your you, over the years, you've figured out a way to more or less work around it, haven't you? Like you, you still have exacerbations of your like symptoms as it were, but you've worked out what seems to suit your body and perhaps what doesn't. Do you agree with yeah. that? Yeah. And I think, I think that's a good lesson for, for anybody really is that we're all biomechanically, whether you've got a surgically changed mechanical structure like I have, or whether you just have certain biologies that don't lend themselves towards lifting very well. Some people got very long femurs, you know, just, just joints that are a little bit, you know, everyone's different. You're very well put together for, for squatting and your mechanics are great for lifting. I'd say mine probably actually aren't, even if I didn't have the surgery. So it, it's a case of finding what works for you. And I think, you know, we talked in the first couple of episodes, didn't we, about putting the ego to one side and lifting, making sure you're doing things for you. You don't have to be conventional squatting. You don't have to do any of these things. If they really don't suit you, if they're giving you consistent pain or putting you in discomfort, there's so many other things that you can do to, to get a good workout. Um, so, yeah, I, I found what works for, for my body. For, for yes, sure. that's good. So we'll come back onto that later and in a little bit more detail. But I think first, it's probably good to outline injuries probably are inevitable to a degree. I think if you're, I should, I should rephrase that. Injuries are probably inevitable to a degree if you are training hard. Yeah. I, I would say. So if we think we can probably define injury is when you apply a load to your body and your ability to recover from or adapting to that load doesn't happen so you might exceed your ability to recover or adapt i think that's probably like a, a fair way of putting it so if you're training hard you're constantly pushing you're trying to progress from week to week you're trying to overload your body and at some point you might reach a, a point where you just can't recover from it and that's what may cause the injury so it doesn't necessarily have to be just a case of like well if i use a really daft example to illustrate it one week you can squat 200 kilos. So you say, right, the following week, I'm going to squat 300 and you collapse into a massive heap. That would be like a very like acute, odd way to get injured. But of course that load has exceeded your ability to actually perform the task, but it's more likely to probably happen accumulatively. So let's say you're a runner and you've got a, a base mile um, capacity of like 50 miles per week. And then all of a sudden you decide you're going to up it to 70 the following week or 60 or whatever you might find that cumulatively that extra 10, 20 miles per week is what is this straw that breaks the camel's back, so to speak. And that's what causes you to get injured. So it's probably more likely to happen accumulatively rather than something that just bang goes. Um, so if we know that there's that degree of inevitability, it's probably worth for most of us, especially if we train hard, uh, learning about pain, how to deal with injury. So you can still train and maintain your fitness, work around that injury and do so in the safest way whilst you get towards your goal whilst your injury heals and i think you know that's a prime example of what we were saying earlier if you can't do something like a back squat or a deadlift you find out the best possible alternative for you to do it so that your fitness doesn't actually kind of decay yeah that's, that's a fair fair way of putting it so we spoke a little bit about our injuries um 
what other kind of stuff do you tend to struggle with? So other than, other than squatting, for example, are there any other bits that you perhaps like to be able to do, but you, you can't? Yeah. I mean, look, as you know, I was a 200 and 400 meter runner for years and I did a a hell of a lot of mileage and with the mechanical imbalances that I've got, I remember the doctors even saying it, I I had six monthly checkups from the age of eight to 15. And, and obviously as a kid, I was really quick. And then I suddenly had like five years where I just wasn't really allowed and couldn't do anything. Um, and then I guess I hit, I hit puberty and I was, I was full of fast twitch. So it was suddenly I was really quick again. And my, I remember my doctor seeing me at 16 and go, bloody hell, you've really grown. And he said, my one concern is it's great that you're, you're doing well in this sport. He said, but I feel with your mechanical imbalances, you might start to have to have problems in your, in your early twenties, your mid twenties. And that's exactly what did happen. And now I can't run at all. It's not yeah. like I can't run. It's just, it's not comfortable for me to run. Listen, we, we went and did, what did we do? 10 K the other day and it nearly killed yeah. me. Whereas in the old days, that would have been a, a breeze. So yeah, it would have just been nothing. Your body would have been able to handle it and adapt. And yeah, exactly. So like my hips, my lower back, my, my knees didn't feel great, but what I can do is skip. Um, and it burns, it burns a similar amount of calories, if not slightly more, um, the, the running is static so you've got a lot more control over the sort of the, the pattern of movement especially with running if you're going uphill downhill your gait and your feet it's if you you know for me skipping's great so that's really what i do my cardio now i'll do bike whether it's a salt bike or what bike or, or skipping or whatever um and, and and then a bit of boxing and that's mechanically for me fine so sometimes i think people feel like they need to run but actually not everyone's mechanically set up to run again um, and I don't think it's always a good thing. And so therefore, if there is an alternative, if you start running and you, you're consistently getting pain every time you run, find something that you can do that burns the calories, works your cardiovascular system, gets you fitter, does all the things you want it to do, but m- maybe it's a static movement. Um, and skipping can be quite fun because you can do it indoors, you can do it to music, you can, there's variations of what you can do. Um, and yeah, it, it gets you really, really fit. Yeah, for sure. And I think going back to what you were saying earlier, um, yes, I think this is really interesting. So you said when you were speaking to the, I know this was a long time ago now, mate, you probably don't remember the exact ins and outs, but you were talking to the consultant and they said, oh, I think you might have issues later on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because according to the research and Again, this echoes what some of these other guys, like the pain science guys were talking about, what the barbell medicine guys talk about, is that we have this belief that pain is, is purely down to like a mechanical damage. So say, for example, you've got back pain and it's as a result of, I don't know, you did a one rep max deadlift in the gym, let's say, and then you, you've, your back just goes, so to speak. doesn't get better. So two weeks later, you go to get an MRI and then Bob's your uncle, you have your MRI and you've got a bulging disc. So you, so you make that connection in your brain that like, oh, right, my disc's bulged. As a result of that deadlift, that's probably why my back's hurting, right? Kind of make, makes like good logical sense. But actually, there's quite patchy evidence as to whether or not you can match the two together. So what we instead know now is that it's not just mechanical causes. That's not to say that it, it's irrelevant, but it's not just that. It's also psychological and sociological stuff that makes a difference as well so let's say for example this is what made me think of it when you said so if you had that preconception as a young man from the surgeon and said you might have problems later on 
it enters into your head that that is a, a possibility and perhaps something to be fearful and, and wary of, um, which might lead for you to get your pain symptoms worse later on. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting how it's very multifaceted. It's not just down to a case of this is like almost like you're like a car. This is broken. It needs fixing. If it's broken, the machine isn't going to work. There's lots more kind of um, complicated factors at play. And also, of course, really, really difficult. We all know that sometimes we get those demons, for lack of a better word, those things that are in your head that you just can't quite get rid of, some sort of like preconception. Um, and I think experiencing pain is probably no exception. Mm-hmm. Yeah, quite, uh, quite interesting. Yeah, it is interesting, yeah. And, you know, especially with, with certain types of pain, back pain can be quite scary. If you get yeah, a, for sure. If you get a pain, so debili- debilitating, is it? Like, yeah. And, and there's the certain amount of fear that, that kind of gets attached to your back pain because you, you worry that, blimey, I can't, can't walk if my back's bad. Whereas if your elbow hurts or your hand hurts, it's annoying and it might be a bit of a distraction. But it isn't like, you don't worry about it as much. You just think, I hope this goes away. Whereas with your back pain, there's a, you feel that sharp stabbing and you go, wow, that is, that is quite scary. Um, yeah, no, I, th- I think you're right about that. And I guess I, I know that I've got, you know, quite, quite a pronounced mechanical imbalances that have been caused by surgery. So I'm able to justify that when I do get pain, I just think, Oh, well, it's obviously a byproduct of, of that. But one thing that, you know, having conversations with you over the years is if you think that pain's bad, it will be bad. Whereas if you could have even gain 10% of the control back by just trying to relax into pain when you do have it, try and move as you can normally. Because the one thing we do is I think we automatically, when we get pain in our back or, or hips or wherever it is, we, we, we seize up. And then I think that referred pain can cause more sort of mobility issues because whatever muscle groups are above and below start to tighten as a way of protecting that area and, and you're controlling that. Whereas if you just relax and think, right, I just have to move as normal here. Yeah, it's still going to be painful because you are in pain by definition. But by, by trying to just continue as normally as possible, you do give yourself the best chance of at least maintaining some sort of mobility through that period of, of injury. Yeah, I, I think so. I think you, um, I can't remember what context you used, but I think you used the words maybe fearful or fear. Yeah. I think you said like, oh, no, sorry, you said back pains can be quite scary. Sorry, I believe. Yeah. So if you think evolutionary speaking, we were probably designed to avoid fear. Mm. So I think somehow if you can change the, the narrative and the relationship you have with pain to not be quite as perhaps scared of it, um, that can probably help with how you experience it as well. Because yeah. you are right, like getting a, I, I remember when um, like I felt my back go, it was really scary. Yeah. Like really scary. You, you can't do like anything when you're, when your back's really, really hurting you and it, spasms it seizes up you feel like instantly you're about 60 years older Mm. you can't do even the most basic a task putting your shoes on putting your pants on whatever it might be everything becomes so much more of a challenge and it yeah it's horrible but again what we're saying all this kind of stuff like try not to be as fearful and try to understand it's not just purely down to mechanical causes it's still really difficult to rationalize that when you're when you're in the moment you're in excruciating pain you can't do what you're used to doing it's it's really tough yeah no it is it is absolutely um and of course in terms of training when when you get something like that you feel effects 
you know, a lot of your training and large portion of your, your body, it's very easy to just go, well, I'm not going to do anything. Um, yeah. And of course, the, the knock on of that mental health wise can, can be bad because you're sitting around, you're eating, you're watching TV, you're, you're waiting for an indeterminate period of time. It's not like someone's got a, a three week timer on your back. And then after that, oh, you'll be fine. You'll go back to normal. It's, this doesn't yeah. work like that. So you know, no, no, of course, and, and if people, only. Yeah. And so people couldn't like injuries have made me fall off the wagon many a time you know everything's good Man, I, I pulled a calf muscle i was in a great block of training about three years ago and uh i just pulled my calf muscle shadow boxing really badly it just suddenly went and i couldn't do anything for about six weeks sort of on my on my feet couldn't even really pedal on a bike and i just fell off the wagon i just stopped training i didn't train my upper body i just left it and then i got i, I lost a lot of the progress that i've made and i think the really the most important thing and this is where you've been so helpful to me particularly is when I've had a particular issue, you've given me a, a sort of selection or variation of exercise that will mean I can potentially still put a little bit of stress through a body part without the same mechanical stress as going through maybe a problem area, be it a knee or a back or whatever. And it's enabled me to keep pushing through without the pain and without the you know potential of making an injury worse. Um, so, so I guess we can talk about some of those specific things a little bit a little bit later on, but. It's just having those lessons in your head. When you do feel an injury come on, don't let all the doom and gloom just sink in and creep in on you. Think about right, what can I do to work around this rather than thinking about what I can't do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's the thing is that you need to focus on, right, what can I do versus what you can't. And there will always be something you can do. Yeah. E- even if, even if like worst case scenario is, and of course I do completely understand, again, I've said this before, it's all well and good you know, not being in the situation that you're in at the moment. But even if you have something where you literally cannot even, for example, step foot in the gym, you could be working on your, uh, reading up on your psychology. You could be looking at other other skills to try and improve, try and focus and direct your energy into that versus just wallowing in self-pity, worrying about what you can't actually do. Um, but I'll tell you what is interesting. So I've had two major injuries before. So one of them was my back, what we were discussing at first. And the other one was a shoulder dislocation earlier on this year. So just to tell the listeners, so I was inclined bench pressing on a, on a bench in a different gym to, to my own. And it, it was quite a bit wider than normal. And what happened was where the bench was so wide, if you can imagine the back of your arm comes in contact with a wide bench. So in a normal bench, you've got a bit more, uh, it's a bit narrower. So you've got more freedom of motion for your elbows to drop past the midline of your body without coming in contact with a bench. Because this one was wider, back of my arm was in contact with it. And that, the point of which the bench touched my upper arm became like a fulcrum. The weight of the bar coming down was enough to push the arm bone out of the socket. And I've had a, a dislocation. So I was in the middle of this gym, ah, bar, so pins, bar pinned to me. I was like, shit, I can't, can't get the bar off me. <laughs> Mate, I so, did, um, didn't, it's the first time I realised it wasn't in your gym, by the way. Yeah, yeah, no, it wasn't, wasn't in my gym at all. So much sense now. Yeah, so I was stuck with this bar on me, and it, it was an early morning session as well, so no one was around. I was like, well, I've got to get this bar off me. So I rolled it onto my lap. Um, at this time, was kind of a bit taken aback. Didn't actually realise I dislocated my shoulder. Stood up with the bar in my hands. Instant pain because, of course, my shoulder wasn't even in the socket. Trying to hold onto this bar had to dump it on the floor, couldn't get the weights off anything. And at first a dislocation didn't even come into my head. I just thought, oh, I've, I've torn my pec or something. Anyway, fast forward 
four hours later when I finally got seen in A&E dislocation, popped it back in and then just been recovering ever since. But anyway, point being, cool. with really different experiences this time round with my injury and recovery versus when I had my back injury. So when I had my back injury, I was a lot younger, as I said, 20 or 21. Didn't know what I know now. And I allowed myself to fall into the trap of believing that it was all mechanical. So I had MRIs done and I did have a, a bulging disc and a slight fracture of one of the vertebrae, um, which showed up on, on x-ray. And it really made me feel very, very like fragile. Um, would worry about what I can and can't do in training. Um, any flare up, I would be absolutely terrified. Um, and of course, like the, the, the symptoms did kind of come and go over the following years with regards to training and stuff like that. It was different amounts that I could and couldn't do. And I believed a lot in getting stuff like massages done. Um, physios weren't always particularly helpful. And some of the narratives that they led me down would lead me to still believe I was quite fragile. Like lots of telling me what I shouldn't do rather than what I can do, telling me that I shouldn't be back squatting, which might have been true at the time, but because it, what, because it was what I didn't want to hear, it was really, really difficult pill to swallow. Mm. Um, and I just generally had like a pretty negative uh, experience with it all. However, this time around, um, understood a little bit more about it and also had a very, very supportive physio. So when I first saw the, uh, the doctor in A&E, he said, because you're reasonably well muscled, your, the weight of your arm could pop it out the socket again. So I was thinking, oh, for goodness sake, like I'm literally just going to walk around and my arm's going to pop out the socket. Is it fantastic? Um, but anyway, once I'd then gone to see the physio, she pretty much got me doing some exercises with the arm straight away. Instant confidence boost. Felt so much better about it. She was the physio. Shout out to Hannah Perrett, by the way. She's listening. Probably not. Um, anyway, so she, um, she put me through... Um, lots of progressive exercises, week to week, month to month, progressively stronger, better. And you can already tell from how I'm describing it and the language I'm using that it was a much better experience all round compared to what I went through with my back. Well, also and what I will say is ha having trained a bit with you this year, it, it wasn't that long ago that the dislocation happened, was it? No, J January 30th or 31st. Yeah, and I mean, you're, you're flying in the gym. So that, that's got to be a good sign. Um, you know, given the severity of it. And I remember you calling me a couple of days after it happened and I was just thinking, blimey, this could really derail a lot of your progress. I know you've had a little bit of issue with some of the squats when you're you're gripping the bar in terms of the rotation of the joint, but that's... Yeah, you know, mobility-wise. But given that you're, eight month, you're 10, 11 months on, you're back benching, your, your bench is not far off as good as it's as it's ever been. Not, not far off at all, is it really? Um, no. And you're squatting and everything's good and your physique... Look, looks great you're kind of I don't think you'd even really ever know it had happened bar a little bit of mobility issue did you no, no no I don't think so I mean the um so some stuff was so when I had the recovery it wasn't all sunshine and rainbow so the um I don't know if you if you experienced this I don't know if it was any different because you were a bit younger but what was interesting is it made me realize how much of my identity I attach to my ability. So if you're the guy who does loads of squats, well-muscled, uh, trains in the gym, and then all of a sudden you have that taken away from you, 
your sense of self-worth does drop. Like, I, I don't know if you, I don't know if you experienced this as well uh, when mate, you perhaps I, couldn't run or. A hundred percent. I went, I went to Loughborough. I mean, I, I did, I did economics as a degree, but I really went there to run and to compete and to be an athlete. I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about much else. So once I, I broke my foot, uh, midway through my first year, had some surgery to clean out the joint, didn't really work, didn't feel I could put any weight through it properly. Uh, and suddenly I realised like, I'm not going to be able to run again. This is it now. This is how my body is. And I had to stop. And I was like, well, what am I actually doing? And then I went to Australia for a year just to get away, just because I didn't really know what to, all my plans of training and competing and everything. It just suddenly stopped. And then I realised that I didn't really have any other plans and I sort of needed to and it's funny because when you're in that mode of training competing training competing I talk a lot one of the key narratives in boxing is that boxers don't have an exit strategy from the sport and they always get major depression I think it happens in a lot of sports when they retire they don't know what to do and yeah they do a little bit of broadcast but that might be once every six weeks and what are you doing in between then is is just kind of family life and and Monday to Friday normality enough for you for a lot of people the answer is no and that's why it's so crucial to have something else going on in your life other than just training or sport because we're not going to be able to do this forever. We'll be able to do something forever, but not this. Like you're not going to be squatting you know, 220 kilos when you're 75. I mean, if you are, then congratulations. But yeah, why not? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I'm not going to ever. But, you know, it's, yeah, you have to have other things going on. So, yeah, a loss of identity definitely a big thing and it comes back to what we always talk about with mental health you know you have to make sure that this is good and you have to also be aware of what things can affect this um, an injury when your training take maybe takes pressure off other areas of your life and it acts as a de-stress tool you have to have other tools in place whether it's meditation whether it's reading whether it's going out seeing your mates doing something you enjoy, make sure you have other things in place because if you do get injured and you can't train, you don't want it to start effing up other areas of, of your life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, uh, that's something big time that made me take like stop and take stock. So once the, once the shoulder was injured, I like, it wasn't even just a case of training. I wasn't able to do in the way that I'd like to do it. I couldn't even, cause it was my right arm. Um, I, I couldn't, I could only do stuff with a, with one hand. It was um, no sniggering at the back. And it was, uh, it, it was ridiculous. So I couldn't even like cook, um, couldn't, couldn't do things like opening my pot of hair gel. I remember that being a frustration. Oh, I'd yeah. literally have one arm up here trying to, <laughs> trying to unscrew it. It was, it was ridiculous. And it sounds, it sounds silly and we can laugh about it now, but at the time I, I couldn't even sleep properly. I had to, I couldn't even sleep in my bed. I had to sleep on the sofa, sat up because where your arms in the sling, you don't want to um, roll. Like, of course, sorry, you can take your sling off at night, but you don't want to then roll over onto the shoulder in your yeah. sleep. So I had to sleep sitting up and um, it makes you feel like a bit of a useless sack of shit. Cause you, you just can't, you can't do anything that you're used to being able to do. You can't do a lot of basic stuff. Um, yeah. And it, it's really tough. So you do have to, perhaps have a little think about what your like it sounds like we're getting very deep here but i think it's relevant you have to work out what your true identity is and what other stuff you've got going for you other than just the gym or whatever else it might be yeah i, I feel like there's part of the culture these days where people make 
connections that are almost not there. So a lot of people will look like the most followed man on Instagram is Dwayne Johnson, right? And I love The Rock. I've been watching him in wrestling since I was a kid. He's one of my favorite people. And I get that hit being a unit is part of his identity, but it's also part of his genetics. He, he is a, he's built like a, a, a the, the 1%. And yeah, of course. What a lot of lads do is they see what he's achieved and the money he's got and the films he's in, and they just attribute it solely to his look and his tattoos. And they think, well, if I get big, if I get tattoos, then I too will be Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And it's like, no, Gary from Newcastle, no, you won't, because he's got charisma and drive and a plan and and skills and talent and like a wealth of things that make him the 1% that he is, or the less than 1% that he is. And that that one part of him, yeah, part of his identity, because he's an action movie star. Yeah, he's, he's, on, he's on brand in that regard, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, but you, you by just being in the gym and, and getting yourself pumped up to this sort of like, this level is not going to just give you everything that you want and need. So if that, if that gets taken away from you or it goes, you have to make sure you've got other things in place. A life plan, job goals, like family goal, anything you need in your life to be happy. You have to have all those things in place, not just looking good. That's one part of it. It might help you physically, it might help you mentally, but you've got to have so many other things in place. And I think that's what a lot of the younger generation now, who are just in gyms obsessively pumping themselves up, they think that that's going to lead to some sort of happiness and some sort of fulfilment. It isn't if all the other areas of your life are not where you want them to be. That's the facts. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know, wouldn't it, over, over lockdown, uh, all the various lockdowns we've had, when people haven't been able to access the gyms, whether that's been something that people have experienced. They've had that, because you think for a lot of people, the gym is um, it's almost like a church, isn't it? It's your community, yeah. it's yeah. where you go to de-stress, like do your, do your exercise. Um, yeah, I would imagine a lot of people have found it difficult in that regard. They've had that big part of their life taken away. Oh, what do I do now? Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, yeah. One thing I was going to say was we, we talked about injuries as kind of those like key moments where like almost an accident's happened. Like, you know, mine was a surgery. You've had a couple based on things that have actually happened kind of severe one moment in time, like a hamstrings popped or a bench injury. But I think sometimes, as you say, that there's accumulation of there's like cumulative injuries that can happen over time. And I think it's really important to, and what this is one thing I'm just speaking from personal experience now that I know my body well, you have to almost see the warning signs before they happen. Like prevention's better than cure is an old adage, but it's, it's an adage because it's rooted in truth. If you feel a niggle in some part of your body and you know that previously that niggle was a precursor to you getting injured and being out for 12 weeks, the second you feel that, don't just blindly push through through stubbornness and ego stop what you're doing because it would be better to cut one session in half than lose potentially 12 weeks of, of consistency going forwards. And, and it's one thing I find really frustrating. There's nothing worse than in the middle of a session. What, what happened two weeks, three weeks ago, my back went, didn't it? I was doing something completely innocuous. I got this awful back twinge and I just, I just kind of stopped what I was doing. I moved on to another exercise that was pain-free. And then for about a week, I had horrible back pain, but I kept relaxed I didn't worry too much. And then within two weeks, I was back to normal again. Well, had I kept deadlifting or had I kept whatever I was doing, rowing or whatever, I, I may have been doing nothing for eight weeks. 
And so it's just checking that ego. The moment you get a slight twinge or, or something that makes you go, mm, not quite sure that felt right, don't just blindly push through. Because in the grand scheme of things, as long as you're training consistency, though consistently, it isn't worth those extra five or six reps for the sake of five or six weeks. No, no of course it isn't. And I think that's a, another good case for being quite mindful of what you've got going on in your life, maybe rating the difficulty of your training sessions or just the individual exercises. So if you're constantly pushing to say a 10 RPE, so for those of you who aren't familiar with the RPE scale, rate of perceived exertion, so 10 being 10 out of 10 effort, one being lying on the sofa doing nothing. If you're constantly pushing nine RPE, 10 RPE, and you've also got a stressful period because you're, I don't know, moving house, or you've had some sort of relationship struggle, you're constantly pushing in lots of different areas of life. We go back to what we defined injury as at the start of the podcast of being loads that you can't recover from and then something goes. That could, that's much more likely to happen when you've got lots of life stress going on and as well as constantly pushing yourself in training. So being mindful, being aware of what you've got going on, knowing when to, as you say, Chris, not letting your ego take over, being able to step back a little bit. And that's valuable because it's, it's going to save you progress in the long run. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, not being afraid to change your plan when you walk into a gym, you know, like, you know, with me at the moment, I'm working on, on progressive overload and slightly higher rep ranges. The weight's still good, but it's, I, I tend, I've had a, a history and a track record of getting injured when I'm working in that sort of three to five rep range when the weight is, is kind of closer to my, to my one RM, sort of 85 to 90%. Whereas at the moment, probably working more like 65 to 80% of that of that one RM for sets of 15 and building a good volume base. And I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm more comfortable. I don't feel like I'm anywhere near that zone where things are starting to get tough and I'm getting injured. Therefore, if you walk in the gym and you start to warm up and everything feels really good, you feel really strong, take those days when you get them. So that might be a day where I think, actually, I'll do a heavier session today because my body feels good. If I walk in and on the warm up, things feel a bit stiff or not quite feeling right don't be afraid to, to, to switch to session B and, and do slightly higher volume, slightly slightly less weight. Keep your body ticking over, keep moving forwards, but don't just push through. I think stubbornness can sometimes be, especially men, I don't think women have this problem anywhere near as much as men. It, it's Stubbornness can be our worst enemy. You're so goal-orientated, you want to hit that mark, but sometimes a back step in the grand scheme of a plan is actually going to help you take two steps forward. So um, as you say, being mindful, getting in the gym, having your plan, but if you can't execute it, don't just mindlessly try and push through because the chances of you getting injured are going to increase hugely if you do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this echoes what we were saying earlier about the the reason why we experience pain. It's not always just because it's something mechanical, i.e. we're not like a machine. Something doesn't necessarily just go wrong with the mechanism and therefore we experience issues. Our bodies are so complicated there's like there's psychological issues there's sociological issues multitude of different things that can um cause these kind of issues so yeah it's, it's really really important um we oh, there was one thing i wanted to just go back to because we glossed over it and i think it's quite important so using myself again as an example so when um i was gonna i was talking about my shoulder dislocation and having to sleep on the sofa talking about how there's evidence to show that when you're sleep deprived, your experience of pain is going to be worse as well. So all I just wanted to say was that that's another important aspect to consider 
making sure that you're sleeping well, recovering in that department and your symptoms of pain are probably going to be better. And also, not least, when your sleep is poor, your mood changes. So, of course, if you're experiencing low mood, your experience of pain is going to be a lot worse as well, in all likelihood. Mm -hmm. um, and it makes for a vicious cycle as well, because, right, you're in a low mood when you get home from work, because obviously you still have to go to work with my arm in a sling. You get home from work, you're, you're knackered because everything takes so much more effort than it normally does. The last thing you actually really want to do is go and do some sort of exercise activity. Your training reduces, so your fitness therefore reduces. And it ends up, you can see where this vicious circle comes in. You can't train, you can't exercise, or at least you've got less inclination to do so. Therefore, your mood decreases even more. And yeah, it, it, set, it sets yourself up for a horrible cycle. So as we were saying earlier, it's important to try and focus on some other stuff as well to increase your sense of self-worth um, because you're trying to upskill in another department, for example. Or even if it's just, right, if my right arm's buggered and it's in a sling, I'm going to train my left arm. No point in having two atrophying uh, shoulders, biceps, whatever, or you might still be able to train your legs. I think that's really important to remember as well. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Um, so I think, um, any, any other bits and bobs you want to share about your own experiences? Do you reckon we covered most of our stuff? Yeah, I think we've covered most of our, our stuff. I, I, do you know, I just had this thought. Um, I went to a really interesting big data and sport conference about seven, eight years ago. Um, and I won't mention the the football team because it was kind of a it was a private conference, but this is one of the biggest football clubs in the world, and they're head of um, sort of S and C, and and they had a they had a rehab specialist there, and they kind of using big data on on players. It was the first time they started to use it, and they noticed a dramatic increase, uh, dramatic decline in injuries of their players, just by using predictive markers for um, injury. So, just doing standardised set of tests with players every single day in training. Um, might just be hamstring flexibility tests. You, you kind of rating your pain on a scale of, you know, one to ten. Nine being the point where you can't really stretch it any further. Suddenly, if that if that angle changes and all of this data is logged by as a, it's whatever percentage they've deemed relevant, they put you straight into a prehab program um, rather than you training that day and training for the next three to four days. They put you straight into prehab and then uh, assess you after eight days. You you miss the game at the weekend. Mm -hmm. They then assess you midweek the next week. And then if your markers are changed, um, they then suggest to the management that you play a reduced number of minutes for, for that following game. Um, and the, the incidence of injuries were, were reduced dramatically. And when you looked at the data against some of the other big clubs in, in the Premier League, um, they had no such system in place and much higher rates of injury. So again, just, just sort of reinforcing that. And I mean, okay, it's one case study with one football club, but... They're using big data analysis on players. And I think it's quite significant that, you know, it backs up that thing of if you feel like something's tight, you feel like something's not quite right, it's better to back off and, and maybe do a little bit of mobility work or something than push yourself through a session that day. Um, because you'll never know whether you would have got injured or not, but the likelihood is you might have saved yourself from, from strain in, in a couple of days' time. Of course. I, I think um, people often have a reluctance, don't they, to if they've if they've got a program to follow, sometimes people have a real reluctance to deviate from that program when it's probably smart to do so. Even if let's say, for example, I have a, a squat session and it's three sets of three back squats at nine RPE. I know that it's probably, even if I'm not feeling too good, 
I'll still train, but I might only do three sets of 37 RPE. But that then does not constitute as a completely wasted session. Ah, not so. Not so. And, and I think understanding that, a lot of people have a very binary black and white thinking where they say, right, well, if I can't stick to the plan, what's the point? Mm. Um, whereas I think sometimes it's good to know, of course, if you feel like absolute death and terrible, then of course, maybe it's better to skip the session. But recognize that you're... Um, what you should do on that day probably falls somewhere along some sort of continuum or spectrum rather than just, it's not just a case of do the session or don't do the session. Yeah. There's probably some sort of sensible middle ground at times as well. hundred percent. And also when you talked about fatigue as well, about, you know, being tired and you being more susceptible to pain, it's also harder to focus when you're tired. I mean, I've been away, did Anthony Joshua fight week last week, went straight up to Manchester, started filming 4am Monday, filmed straight through, to, to, to yesterday and there was a little gym in the hotel we were staying in but I just didn't have the, the energy or the focus to train and the thing is you, you know if you're absolutely exhausted there's a certain amount of focus that goes into each rep of your squats at the moment because each one of them is taking a little bit out of you you've got to be focused if you feel completely exhausted fatigued you've had a bad week mentally you're not right you're potentially putting yourself at risk by doing things at that, that level where everything's so close to the wire that you you can't afford for any any rep really to be anything less than perfect. And the chances are, if your mind's not right, you're fatigued, one or two of those reps might be less than perfect. And when you've got 200 plus kilos on your back, well, what's going to happen if, if those reps are less than perfect, you know? So it is worth, as you say, considering your body and mind as one. And if, if both aren't right, um, just, just being... Uh, you know, not, not over stubborn and just being happy to readjust your, your training. Yeah, I think so. Yes, settle for the next best thing, basically. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a smart, smart way to look at it. So I think now's probably a good time to summarise what we've spoken about, right? So the what we're about to talk about now is a direct rip-off from an Instagram post I made a few, few weeks ago. But it's basically just talking about a, a good general framework to deal with injuries, come back from them, um, and hopefully be in the best possible position to, to move forward. So I think first and foremost, um, and I must admit, we haven't actually spoken too much about this, which is silly as it's the first point in there, but it's, it's just trying to manage your training load properly. So if you can manage your training load properly, whether that's mileage done per week, whether that's number of sets that you perform per body part, if you manage that and it's part of a proper, well-designed, well-constructed programme, your likelihood of getting injured is probably going to decrease. So there's no haphazardly jumping from more to less to more to more to more to much less um, each week. It actually follows some sort of system and, and progression. And I think, I, I genuinely, genuinely think, even I do it, and it's my job to design programs for people, I genuinely think getting a coach is one of the best things you can do in that regard. Or yeah. at the very least, if you're not in a financial position to do so, there are countless programs out there that are well designed that are available off the shelf, so yeah. to speak. And if anyone's looking for anything along those lines, make sure to just drop me a message and I'll, I'll, um, I'll let them know about it. But um, yeah, I think that that's first and foremost, the most valuable thing you can do. Nip it in the bud before it happens. Yeah, of course. And we, we talked in the previous episodes about the concept of progressive overload um, and being consistent with with that in different rep ranges. Different, but, but ultimately, I think some people can get ahead of themselves and think, right, I've hit one mark an hour, I'm going to chuck, chuck another 20 kilos on. But when you get to a certain point, 
the progression doesn't happen in those kind of leaps. It just doesn't. And even if even if you were able to go from you know squatting 60 kilos to squatting 80 kilos, don't allow your body the the adjustment period of going in slow increments between 60 and 80. Because once you get to 80, your your body will be so much better adjusted and prepared. And any potential mechanical stresses that you will have experienced along the way, it will experience them in much much smaller increments. That if there is a problem, you, you're going to know about it without with, with a lot less weight on your back. And it, so it's just, again, looking at where you want to be, looking at where you are, and instead of seeing it in these sort of three massive leaps, break it right down into smaller, more patient chunks. You, your body will be so much more grateful for it in the long run. Just uh, That's one thing I, I know we can both attest to over the last 10 years, and I don't think many people would, would disagree with it. There are so few people in the sort of genetic 0.1% that can take these enormous leaps and, and, and go through huge amounts of weight without getting injured. Most of us are built like human beings and you need to very, very, very steadily and very small increments on, on the load that you're lifting in order to, to progress and to progress healthily. Yeah, for sure. And I think as well, at the risk of going off on a slight tangent, I think it also then encourages people to focus more on the process rather than the outcome as well. So if you do, let's say you do have a goal of deadlifting 200 kilos and at the moment you can only deadlift 100, it's a bloody long way off. Yeah. So you may, you may as well enjoy the ride and yeah. think, right, next week it's 102 and a half. Well, I might be, yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, potentially, right? So yeah, I think for a lot of people, they could do really well to not necessarily forget about the end goal, but put their primary focus on, right, that goal could happen two to five years down the line. So I should probably focus about what I'm doing next week first rather than thinking all that, all that kind of distance ahead. Yeah. Um, and I think num number two is probably the most important one. I think we have said here about, um, you know, there might be a pretty big component of your pain injury, which might not necessarily be mechanical, but nonetheless, there are going to be some times where that is going to be the main cause. There are certain like red flags for injury um, and therefore you should see a professional if, if necessary. So that's not to say that every single injury that you have needs urgent medical attention. You don't need to go in A&E just because you've like dropped a, um, or like you stubbed your toe in the gym or something like that. But sometimes there will be instances where seeing a medical professional is, is appropriate. Um, and I think that's, that's worth repeating. But um, also recognising that sometimes you might get little aches and pains that go away by themselves. Mm. Um, and you might not want to go to a physio every time you get a slightly achy shoulder or, or whatever. Um, I have dropped a, just, just while we're talking about, I dropped a 20 kilo plate on my big toe in Sydney in a gym and I was wearing sliders. And mate, it was, it was horrendous. Just to, oh, just I, to, I bet that is rough. My toe was just like a lump of coal for about three weeks. Oh, mate, it was awful. But could you tell? Could you tell that like, I was going to say, don't get medical attention just because you drop a plate in your toe? And then well, I stopped myself it. and I thought, actually, no, do do go to any. Just for the record, do do that if you do. Yeah, please, <laughs> please do. Um, then I think it's also important to be realistic with your expectations as well. So we said right at the start of the podcast, injuries are inevitable to some sort of degree, um, especially depending on what sort of sport or activity you do. So. I know this is quite um, pertinent at the moment. Rugby's going through a, a bit of a crisis at the moment with regards to, to head injury. And due to the nature of that sport, I'm not saying it's obviously right or wrong that someone should definitely experience some sort of horrific long-term head injury, but head injuries are going to be quite likely in rugby in the way that is currently played. So it's understanding what your, 
you, you have a, a choice whether to engage in a certain activity or not. So therefore you should be weighing up to the risk to reward ratio. And I mean, of course it's the same for, for boxing as well, right? Well, I was, I was talking to, so obviously Hathor Bjornsson and Eddie Hall are having a, a boxing match in September. I was talking to the guy that's promoting it this morning and he just said, I feel, you know, is it the most sensible idea? And I said, look, those are two professional athletes that understand the risk rewards. I presume they're getting paid pretty well for it. Therefore, it's the equivalent of, of, of gambling a lot of your money. You know, it could pay off. You could lose a fair bit. And if you're willing to take the risk of getting hurt for, you know, how, how much money is going to hit your account, that's your risk to take as, a, as, an, as an adult, as someone that makes sensible decisions and as someone who's an athlete. So with every boxer, you know, they they do take the life in their hands every time they step in the ring. The percentage of, of them that, you know, involved in something that's life-changing or fatal is very, very low. It's very tragic when it happens. And when it does happen, it highlights how pertinent the risks are and how present the risks are. But for the vast majority of them, it can change their lives in, in ways that they just couldn't otherwise. So they take the risk. Uh, and like anything, you know, on a smaller scale, whether it's going to the gym, if you're training and you're pushing hard, you are going to be at the risk of being injured, but there are benefits that are, are too numerous to mention. Um, and therefore, if you deem them to be worth it and beneficial to your life, then take them at your discretion. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting as well. The um, We seem to be talking about it a lot, the um, getting injured in the gym specifically. is actually yeah. very, very unlikely. Much yeah. lower risk of injury compared to, say, playing hockey, football, rugby. Yeah. Yeah. However, I think a lot of people do view it as being quite uh, dangerous in a way, especially especially with regards to like lower back injuries and stuff like that. Yes, they might be one of the more common injuries that take place in the gym, but it's, that doesn't necessarily mean that um, it happens to absolutely everyone or it's incredibly likely to happen. It just happens to be that those injuries that do happen quite often are lower back related. Yeah. Um, and I think also a lot of people sometimes view it as a negative when we talk about it's, it's your own choice, your own decision. But actually, I think, you know what? It's actually quite empowering. If you can take some degree of control and engage in an activity based on your own choice, um, I, I think that, that can only be a good thing. Yeah, and, and I think, um, from my experience, most good things happen when you're slightly outside of your comfort zone. You know, you know yourself when you hit, you hit your PBs last week with, what did you have, 210 and you hit an eight and a, eight and a six? Was it I wish it, it was it was two hundred and ten for five, and then it was two two hundred for eight and six. Eight and then and then a six. Yes, yeah, sorry, uh, but but ultimately you you had to kind of go through a little bit of grind on those last couple of reps to to make that progress and know that you've moved on. And ultimately, any time you do hit a PB, you're out of your comfort zone. And there's a massive sense of satisfaction and achievement by by breaking through those little personal barriers and goals. Yeah, for so, sure. And I, I think also you uh, your knowledge that you can do that then it probably increases your likelihood of being able to do it again. You know you've got it in you. Yeah. You know you've got that capability. Build your self-confidence. And it, I think recovering from an injury is no, no different to that. Yeah. And, in other, in, and then it knocks on in other areas of your life because you kind of think, well, if I take a little risk, things will pay off. Step out of my comfort zone a little bit. Try something I haven't before. And you lose the fear of trying something new. I really believe it's, a real, like, it's, it's an English culture thing. We're very different to the Australians, the Americans. We're kind of taught almost from like, kids to keep in your comfort zone stay safe control the virus um <laughs> it, it's like we're taught to you know almost like 
trying something and failing is, is a negative thing. And we attach negative connotations to risk and to trying something new. It's very much, you know, get your house, get your mortgage, um, go to school, get your education, get a steady job. Whereas actually very, very often, very rarely did you hear in school, really try and take massive risks, get out of your comfort zone, do this, do that. I sort of wish we had been taught that because I found that out late. But it's in that comfort zone, in the area where a lot of the really good stuff can happen in your life. You know yourself, setting up a business in a gym, it's a huge risk and there's stress attached to it and there's anxiety and there's uncertainty, but you've planned and you've prepped and you've stepped out of your comfort zone. Now you've got your own fucking gym and you've got your own clients and you've got your own business and it's amazing. You can walk in there and know that as a result of your hard work and planning and your risk taking has paid off and that's such a good lesson for everybody and, and a lot of it can, that mindset can actually start in a gym. So yeah, you know, absolutely. Of course. Yeah, no, very, very, very uh, powerful, even in a way that you perhaps wouldn't necessarily expect. 100%. 100%. So next one is finding an entry point back into your training. So injuries taking you out of that, how do you determine what your appropriate entry point is? So, for example, for me, when I dislocated my shoulder, my appropriate entry point back in was, well, firstly, off of the recommendation of the physio to do the physio exercises, but it was also to train my, my left arm and my legs because, of course, right, my right shoulder is dislocated. As I said earlier, that doesn't mean whatsoever that I can't train my left arm or my lower body. Um, and you'd also want to try and work within your reasonable limits of pain as well. So unless you were told otherwise by your medical professional, as, as should kind of uh, overarch all of the things that we've said here today, pain doesn't always necessarily mean more damage. So throughout your rehab process, of course, your levels of pain are going to undulate somewhat. Some days you're going to feel great. Some days not so great. It's all part and parcel of the, of the, the journey that is recovery, right? So try and perform exercises that don't make the pain worse. Um, and just, just basically, as we said right at the start, do what you can, focus on that versus what you, you can't. And that's a good, good way of approaching it. Yeah. Um, and then I think as well, off, off the back of that, so you're returning back to, uh, to activity after injury, re recognize that pain can be a learned behavior. So you want to try and build your confidence in your ability to do exercise, build your resilience, do different movements, um, being able to handle any setbacks. Because again, this journey is not going to be linear or very unlikely to be linear. You're not going to literally enter on your, into your rehab process and then be able to just gradually dot your way up. There's probably going to be dips in there um, stuff that's going to set you back. But your ability to recover from those setbacks is going to increase your, your confidence. And I think that's a very important part of, of coming back from injury. Um, so I, I think also as well, you know, it, it's probably a, a good choice to listen to this podcast because if you are trying to learn about pain, injury, whatever it might be, you're also you know, you're, you're actually taking the time and making an effort to learn a little bit more about it so that you can, again, using this word again, you can empower, um, empower yourself, realize what you're capable of adapting to and, and overcoming. Oh, and that's, that's very important. Um, and it, I think this, this part is particularly fascinating. So again, on that topic, if you look at athletes who have perhaps had amputations or were perhaps born to develop in such a way where they might have asymmetry, um, and you look at these guys, how well they can still perform at such a high level, despite these very obvious um, uh, changes to how an, a more able-bodied person would be able to perform. So let's say if you watch at the, at the Paralympics, some of the athletes who run who are above knee amputees, 
and they can run in compared to a normal person the most bizarre gait they're not nothing about it is linear their yeah. hips and legs are rotating around in in in, a, in order to be able to propel themselves forward yet they don't then get off the track at the end and they're not taken off in an ambulance or in a wheelchair they can still thrive they can perform and it shows what our our bodies our bodies are amazing but what they can actually adapt to what they can handle um i think is, is really fascinating so i think that's very important to um to remember as well yeah that's a really good point um, and then finally what should be your overarching principle with all of this stuff is to just incrementally try and improve things in training slowly over time so let's say you get back on your training journey after an injury you're feeling good you're buzzing to be back in the gym and I think this happens a lot and I, I can hold my hand up and say I've been there as well Chris you're probably the same the first time you go back in, you try and carry on from where you left off before. And it, not necessarily inevitably, but more often than not, you, um, you perhaps maybe not end up back at square one, but you do regress somewhat. And I think it's really important to say, look, you know what? I've had X amount of weeks or months or even years off. What is a really sensible way to get started? And I'm not going to let my excitement and joy override that sensible head. Um, so you want to be trying to be mindful of your pain levels. Um, so approaching things slowly, right? If that hurts, I'm going to regress a little bit. I'm not just going to boneheadedly push on um, and try and just incrementally improve that over time. And I think if your pain gets a lot, lot, lot worse, you should probably go back to square one and, and see a professional. Yeah, agreed, mate. I mean, even, even in the last, I don't think I've touched a weight probably for 10 days now um, since I, since the last, trained I think I've been away and yeah I haven't touched away and I know that when I do go back it might be Monday Tuesday but I'll mm. do half what I would have done two weeks ago in terms of volume because I know otherwise I'll have horrendous doms for five days and I won't be able to train again I'd rather yeah. get two almost half sessions in in the next week be able to recover not put any mechanical stress on my body and then after a week of letting myself adapt start to creep back into it as normal and that's and that's with 10 days off and no injury it's just a busy period of life but it's just like you say it's checking that ego not just boneheadedly and stubbornly pushing on all the time because that's where you get injured um and it's not to say uh, always err on the side of caution if you're having a good day and you fancy a pb and it's there then take it while it is there but it's not always going to be there and you have to remember trying to force it when it isn't is when you can put yourself at risk and there's nothing more stupid or more pointless when you've got the the, the next 30, 40 years, whatever it is, to train and get yourself in shape, um, you know, making those kind of short-term decisions. It's a bit it's hedonistic and you're only going to do yourself damage in the long run. Yep, couldn't agree more. Well, uh, mate, I, I, think that's, uh, I think that's everything. I, um, I really enjoyed that. That was good. Yeah, mate. I'm an gonna interesting back, episode. I'm going to go and buy a heater now. Oh, nice. Yeah, get yourself warm. Yeah. Um, yeah, anything else you want to go through, bud? You reckon that's all? No, just, just say Merry Christmas, mate. And... Uh, I, see you on the day yeah we'll do look forward to it um we'll, we'll try and get another guest in in between christmas and new year shall we yeah i think that'd be great i think we're gonna we're gonna try and get a guest or not me for our next one yeah we've got someone in mind who we're trying to trying to get hold of so if we get that to work that'll be fabulous be pretty but, cool um, yeah be pretty cool and pretty relevant to, to what's happening in between christmas and new year as well all will be revealed if we can get them on but we won't mention it just in case we don't manage to yeah fingers crossed Nice one. All right, then, guys. Well, listen, thanks for listening, everyone. Merry Christmas to you if we don't um, speak to you before, sort of. 
what we do. Um, but yeah, have, um, have a great one. Stay safe and we'll speak to you soon. Cheers, everyone.